Amen. Turn with your, me and your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15. I struggled this week with what to preach. This is Easter, and we need a good, like to have a good resurrection message. And I had two of them. And I couldn't get peace about either of them. They were good messages. In fact, I discovered one of them I preached last week, last year. So, with Friday in here, I determined as best I could to spend the day in here on the last day of that fast praying and just seeking God. And I was wrestling with what, again, what to minister today. This is such an important day. And a verse went off in me. And it was not exactly what you'd call a, a, a resurrection day or Easter day verse. But you'll see how it fits in. But before we do that, I want to read this opening scripture because it really sums up what this is all about. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received in which you stand, by which you also are saved. So we're saved by the gospel. If you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So we must hold fast to the gospel. We can't be lazy about it and be slipshod. We must hold fast to it. Otherwise we believed in vain. For I delivered to you, this is the message he delivered, first of all, that which I also received. So the message that Paul delivered to the church at Corinth was a message that he received. Now who did he receive it from? He received it directly from Jesus in a revelation he got in the Arabian desert over a period of three years. So this is, a, this is, only, this is from Jesus to Paul to the church. That Christ died for our sins, number one. This is the gospel according to scriptures that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day according to scriptures. Notice he died according to scriptures, and he was raised according to scriptures. He didn't die because the Roman soldiers captured him and crucified him. He didn't die because the Pharisees rose up and found a way to get him. They tried to kill him before, but they couldn't touch him. He died according to God's predetermined plan, according to scriptures. He was buried, and then he was raised on the third day, also according to scriptures. This is a preordained plan that we'll see a little later on, that God had ordained literally from the foundation of the earth. Let's go on and read. Verse 5, He was seen by Cephas, that's Peter, then by the twelve, this is after he was raised from the dead. After that he was seen, listen to this, by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, and some have fallen asleep, died. After that he was seen by James, then by all the apostles, and last of all, he was seen by me also, as if I were one born out of due time. This is the gospel. This is what Paul's saying here. The gospel is that according to God's predetermined plan, his son was sent to die, to be buried and to be raised again on the third day. And that's a great resurrection message. But the question is, why? Why would God have to send His Son to put on human flesh, walk among us for 33 and a half years just to die, only to be raised again from the dead? That sounds like He ends up back where He started. Not quite. Not quite. What we've done, He did this for us. 
even though this happened over well over 2,000 years ago, this is just as vital and important today. On April 1st, this is not April Fool's, April 1st, 2018, that gospel, that truth, what God did 2,000 plus years ago is just as important for us today as it was then. As it was then. This is the heart of the gospel that God sent His Son to die, to be buried, and to be raised from the dead. But it's so often taught just as doctrine, just as principles, just as teaching. I was raised from a little boy to memorize the Nicene Creed and the Apostles' Creed, which is very important because that doctrine is important, but that's primarily what's taught. And what we miss is this. The Bible was intended by God more than anything else to reveal to man, to you and me, who God is and what God's like. Everything this Bible has at its heart is to reveal to us who God really is and what God's really like. Religion has taken that and turned it into rules and principles and doctrines. Nothing wrong with doctrine. There's an important place for doctrine, but not when it robs us of knowing God and who God is. The only people Jesus ever got mad at were the Pharisees because they put 618 rules that the people had to keep that separated them from knowing God. And knowing God personally will change your life eternally. And the things that that teaching, the things that religion does, robs us of more than anything else. And the most important thing God wants us to know about Himself is His heart. Psalm 103 has this wonderful verse in there. It says, Israel knew God's acts. They knew what God did. But Moses knew God's ways. Many of you in here know who my wife is. But very few of us know her very well. But I'm the one that really knows her ways. Even in bed at night, asleep, if she gets agitated or something, I, can, I know it. I know her ways. I know the sound of her steps. I know the sound of her voice. I know the touch of her hand. I know her ways. And as a result, there's an intimate relationship with us. And the gospel is not a series of teachings. It's God telling us He wants us to know Him and His ways. He wants us to know Him intimately. So why did God send His Son to die, to suffer and die, just to be buried, only to be raised again from the dead. Because in what God did for us, He wants us to know His heart towards us. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus die? Why was He raised from the dead? I remember sitting... In church, when I was a little boy, my grandmother would take me to Friday afternoon services. We had services from 12 to 3, which was the watch while Jesus hung on the cross. And you, they went through the seven 
stages of the cross. And I remember sitting there saying to myself, well, you're the son of God, why don't you come down? Which I learned later is exactly what the Pharisees said. You know, why did you... He's like, you shouldn't have died. This was a travesty because I didn't understand why he had to die. And we're going to look at it. We're going to look, first of all, at what Jesus says himself because he tells us why he came. He tells us why he walked among us. He tells us why he buried and why he died and was raised from the dead. He tells us why he came is personal for each of us and it's vital for us to understand. Let's go to Luke chapter 19. And this is the verse that went off on me Friday, in me Friday. Luke 19. Simple story, we'll come back to this a little later. Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. That's important. And he sought to see who Jesus was. He didn't know who he was. He sought to see him who he was. And he could not because of the crowd, for he was short in stature. What are you laughing at, John? <laughs> I thought of you when I read this. Because <laughs> you would have done what he did. He was short in stature. So what did he do? He didn't say, because I'm too short, I guess I can't see you. I'm going to go home. He ran ahead, climbed into a sycamore tree to see him, and he, for Jesus was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he saw him. He sees us whether you're short or tall, skinny or not so skinny. And he said to him, Zacchaeus, he knew his name. Make haste and come down for today. I must stay at your house. So he made haste. He hurried up and came down and received him joyfully. But when they... You know the they's out there? There's always they's. They said this and they think this and they... They saw it. They all complained. Isn't it interesting? It's the they's that complain. Because they hide behind being the they. No, don't go there, John. Don't go there, John. Don't, no, 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 don't go there, John. No, we'll lose. Don't go there, John. Okay. Where was I? Oh, yeah. And saying, He has gone to be the guest of a man who's a sinner? This man is a rabbi, he's a great prophet, at the very least claims to be the son of God. He ought to know better. He's going to be the guest of a sinner? Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, now remember, he's very rich. I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I've taken anything by any false accusation, I restore fourfold. Now, he was a tax collector. What the Romans would do when they occupied is they would hire a member of that society. So they hired... He was a Jew. So they hired him to collect taxes for the Roman government. And here was the deal. This is the percentage the government wants. Anything you collect above it, you can keep. So they made their living on how much beyond the taxes they could get out of you. And he was very rich. So obviously he had taken a lot from his own countrymen and as a result they were hated, they were looked down upon just as we tend to do in a few weeks 
on April 15th when we got to pay uncle. Those of us that have to pay him. Okay. So what is he saying? But Lord, if, if I, I will give half of my goods to the poor and if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, that's how he made his living. I will restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come to this house because he's also a son of Abraham. Now the word salvation there in Greek is an interesting word. It's an all-inclusive word. It means to deliver, to preserve. It means soundness, prosperity, happiness, rescue, general well-being. In other words, it means whatever was bad in your life, you've been delivered out of it and protected from it. That's what's come to this house today because he's a son of Abraham. And verse 10 is what I wanted to get to. For the Son of Man, Jesus is telling why he came, has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. We're going to talk about three words in here. Seek, save, and lost. And then we're going to go look at some examples. Everything Jesus did, living, dying, rising from the dead, was for this purpose, to seek, to save that which was lost. Let's look at the word seek. The word seek implies that there's an initiative on someone's part. Someone decided, I I want that. What we just did this last week is we spent a week where our purpose was to seek the Lord. Well, He's not lost, but in, in many ways He's lost to us. We're blind to things. And so what fasting does and setting a time aside to fast and prayer, it doesn't make God do anything, but our own hearts begin to seek after Him with a greater desire. Because almost all of us in here desire to know God. Almost all of us in here desire to be able to know what God wants for our life. But how much do you want it? Do you want it enough to seek it? Or are you just sitting by the side of the road and hope maybe it passes by and God drops some of it on you? Because I come to church once a week, I'm going to get it. Most of the reasons we're missing what God has for us is we don't go after it. We don't seek it. And why don't we seek it? Because we don't have enough hunger for it. I'll tell you this much. When six o'clock came this week and I could eat again, I went seeking something to eat. I didn't just sit there and say, well, I hope there's some food here. I was already planning on it. We already planned what our meals were going to be. One of them I was going to make and some of the things, you know, I went out and got the ingredients. I was, I was seeking after it. Why? I was hungry! Which means we don't really have a hunger for Him because we haven't been feeding on Him. You're hungry for the things you've been feeding on. If you're, really, uh, if you're really a sugar addict, it's because you've been feeding on it. But if you've been feeding on nothing but healthy foods and vegetables, you'll develop a hunger and an appetite for that to the point that all the sweets won't really, you won't have an You control what your appetite's for, both physically and spiritually. You control it. It's not your race, it's not your family background, it's not what you, it's you control by what you've been feeding 
upon. So the word seek implies there's a desire, there's initiative. Remember, it's God that's seeking. Jesus is seeking. So there's an initiative on the part of the one who's pursuing something. I looked it up in Miriam's, Webster's Miriam Dictionary, at least the online one. It says to go in search of and to look for something. Listen to this. It implies a desire on the part of the one that's seeking. It implies a desire on the part of the one that's seeking. And you can tell how strong the desire it is by how long they'll seek and what they're willing to go through to find. You can tell how strong the desire is by what they're willing to go through to find what they're looking for and by how long they're willing to keep looking. That's the word seek. Now let's talk about the word save. I gave you the definition, the Greek definition of save. But let's talk about it kind of in English. It implies someone's in danger or something's in danger and is in need of rescue. When we hear of boats being turned over in the, in the bay here or out in the ocean, the Coast Guard goes out and they save them. They'll tell you how many people were saved from a building burning. Building burning. Burn, thank you. Bur- <laughs> it's a good thing I don't talk for a living. One of those things. And, and what the news will say, we st- four people were saved. That automatically tells you they were in danger. And now they've been delivered out of that danger. So he came to seek, to go after, to, to, because of his desire to, and to rescue out of some danger. Another meaning of the word, those that are lost. Let's talk about the word lost. Merriam-Webster says it means ruined, destroyed, taken away or beyond reach, unable to find the way. Unable to find the way. So let's take those and begin to look at it. The seeking and the saving is what he came to do. We understand that. But who are the lost? What's the lost he came to seek and to save? Let's go to Luke 15. Great example. When I found this, I knew I was on the right track. We're going to read some scriptures together, but this is church. It's okay, we help you, we put them up there. All right? Then all the tax collectors, Luke 15, 1. All the it's tax collectors again. All the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him. A few years ago, I kept saying over and over again Jesus, the, ta- the, the people that were sinners, the tax collectors, the people that were down and out, they wanted to be around him. The church people didn't want to be around him. But the people that were lost wanted to be around. Why? And then why don't they want to be around us? Interesting question. The Pharisees and the scribes complained, saying this man receives sinners and eats with them. They don't understand how this holy man, if he's holy, don't you know who these people are? There's one place where they sang that about him. Doesn't he know he's a prophet? Can't he tell what kind of people these are? So he's going to answer them the typical way he did in a parable. Actually, there's three of them here. So he spoke to them in a parable saying, verse 4, What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one who's lost until he finds it? And when he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. 
And when he comes home, he calls all his friends and neighbors saying to them, Rejoice for me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Likewise, I... Now he's going to apply it to them. I say to you, likewise, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine just persons who need no repentance. Now what is he talking about here? The shepherd lost just one of his sheep and is looking for that. That's, 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 bad. that's bad risk management. Because you got, that's not, he's 90, 99% successful. Let the one go. Let him go. But to God, every, every sheep is worth going after. Every sheep is worth going after. Years ago, I remember asking God this question. Because I'd heard somebody say it, and it's like, that's hard for me to grasp. God, if I were the only one that needed Jesus to come and die, every rest of all you were perfectly holy, never sinned, and I was the only one that ever sinned, would Jesus still have come? People have told me that, Lord. Give me a verse. And immediately this came to me. He left the 99 to go find the one. That means for you, if you were the only one that needed Jesus to come to suffer on Good Friday, to be dead, buried, and raised from the dead, He would have come just for you. And we're going to see that in a minute. We're going to see that in a minute. Just to explain to you who the other 99 are, they're the religious people that were talking to Him. It wasn't that they weren't lost. They didn't think they were lost. And we're going to see in a few minutes, that's the danger of being lost. You don't know you're lost. They thought they were right with God because of all the things they did and didn't realize God is sitting there with them. And God is telling them, you're lost and I've come to save them. But they couldn't see that they were lost and because they couldn't see that they were lost, He couldn't save them even though he wanted to. Okay, let's look at another story here quickly. Verse 8. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light the lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? We came back from a trip and my wife can't find one of her glasses. So we went through everything we could find. We searched through the house. We, I tore the car apart. We went and went through the suitcase that was cleaned out. Were they in there? We were searching all over, looking for it. Why? Because they're glasses that she needs. Because they're important. We went searching for them. Not just once, but twice, and we're still looking. <laughs> so if you've seen her glasses, <laughs> I'm notorious for leaving my glasses around and people in the church, no, my keys and my phone. Okay. Anyway. And when, verse 9, And when she found it, she calls all her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice for me, for I found the peace that was lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repents. The woman had lost just one out of ten valuable coins. But look at the effort she put into finding one of those coins. Every one of them was valuable to her. And the third one is maybe the most, one of the most famous parables of all. We're going to go down through it quickly. Verse 11. Then he said, A certain man had two sons. 
And the younger of the sons said to his father, Father, give me the portion of the goods that falls to me. He divided them to his livelihood. Not many days after the son gathered all the things together, journeyed to a far country, and there he wasted with prodigal living. But when he spent all that there was, he rose, or there arose a great famine. Isn't that the way it is in that land? And he began to be in want, hungry. He then went and joined himself to the citizens of the country. That's what happens. He went out into the world and joined himself to the world. And, set him, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. Now for a Jew, imagine what that means because that is a prohibited food. It's considered unclean. And he's now out among the f- pigs. You, many of you may be having ham later on, but you weren't out there feeding them in their slop to feed the swine. And he would look at how bad it was. He would gladly have filled his stomach with the food the pigs are eating. Some of you have been out there and no one gave him anything. And this is what it is. He's lost at this point. And he came to his senses and said to him, so wait a minute, wait a minute. Many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare and I perish with hunger. Verse 18. I know what I'll do. He's going to solve his own problem, which is what we do. I will arise and go to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. That's what we think. Okay, God, I, I realize I'm in trouble. Now what do I have to do to earn what I need from you? And he arose and came to his father. And when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Stay there. This is the heart of the father. He was a great way off. And the father saw him. Now you understand, to understand this story, you have to understand in that day and age, a father in a a household like this had great honor and prestige and dignity. And he had a place, a tent, that he would sit in or he would have a house that he would sit in and people would come and serve him. And, And in order for him to see his son a long way off, he couldn't have been sitting in his tent. He couldn't have been back in the den watching his 65-inch flat-screen TV saying, I hope he shows up someday. He had to be out there every day. Searching that horizon. He's a father who's lost his son, but he's still his son. Searching. And then one day he sees this little speck on the horizon. But he's seen specks before. But he begins to get speck gets closer. It's beginning to have movements that look familiar. And as he gets closer and closer, he's thinking, I wonder if that could, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder. And he doesn't look quite the same. He's bent over. He doesn't have the same strut and he doesn't have the same stature. But he's got that same walk. I think that's, and then what did he do? The father ran. Do you know what a man had to do to run in those days? They wore long flowing robes. They had to reach over, pull up the back robe, tuck it up under the front robe, tie it into their waist so that it became like pantaloons, and then do something an elder statesman had they would never do. Run! He had servants that ran and did things for him because he had respect and dignity. But when your son that's been lost, maybe the one on the horizon, 
Dignity goes out the window. Prestige goes out the window. Position goes out the window. And you run after him. You run after him. You run after him. And then what he did, he saw him and had compassion. This story, Jesus is saying how the Father sees every lost one that begins to turn back to him. He rushed towards him. Compassion filled his heart and he ran and fell upon his neck and he kissed him. The next verse. Now the sun, the sun starts to recite. I love this. I've got to be careful because I can really get caught up in the story. The sun starts to recite. He's got a speech he's rehearsed. Father, I've sinned against heaven and earth and in your sight and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Now stop a second. Wait a minute. Go back. He wasn't his son in the beginning because he was worthy. Was he? What made him a son wasn't that he was worthy. What made him a son is he was born out of him. I'm no longer, but see, when you've been away, you think you've got to earn your way back. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Verse 22. But the father said to his servants, Bring out. Father doesn't listen to him, he doesn't listen to his prepared speech. Bring out the servants, bring out the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand and sandals and feet. Kill the, fat, the fatted calf. Go on. The fatted calf and kill it. And let's eat and be merry. For this, this is it. This is it. This son of mine was dead. And he's alive. He was lost. And he's been found. So let's begin to be merry. Amen. He didn't look at, what did you do? Look at it. He doesn't say, where were you? What did you do? Where have you been since you've been out there? Woo! <laughs> I got a, some idea where you've been. You stink. You smell. But see, when we come back, we stink. When you're lost, you stink and smell to God. But He loves you. And look what He says. My son was dead alive. Go on. Next verse. Now He has an older son. This is the church people. I never strayed. I've always done what's right. I've been to every service since these doors were open. I've tied my ties ever since this church was open. I've done everything I'm supposed to do. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and says, what does this mean? Verse 27. He said, your brother, your, bro- your brother has come because he was received him safe and sound. Your father's killed the fatted calf that was set especially aside for special occasions. Verse 28. But he was angry and would not go in. What are they doing here today? I'm here every Sunday. Therefore the father came out and pleaded with him. See, he didn't, wasn't mad at him. Go ahead, next verse. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many, here's his case. This is why I'm right in your sight. I've Many years I've been serving you. I've never transgressed your commandment at any time. Yet you never gave me a goat that I might make merry with my friends. Verse 30. But as soon as this son of yours... Who 
devoured your livelihood with harlot. Notice the father didn't get into all of that. See, we judge one another based on what we think they've done wrong, and God's going right past that and giving forgiveness and grace. You killed the fatted calf for him. By the way, whose calf was it? Okay, that's okay. I thought so. He said to him, Son, you're always with me. All that I have is yours. I've not held anything back for you. You never asked for it. It was right that we should be merry and make glad. For your brother was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and he's been found. The shepherd went to find the lost sheep. The woman went to find, to seek and to find the lost coin. And the father went to find and rescue his lost son. And for this purpose was the Son of God manifest to seek and to save the lost. Because that's God's heart and God's passion. Let's look for a few minutes at what Jesus did specifically because he went and sought specific people he sought specific people let's go back to uh, let's go back to Luke 19 Zacchaeus Luke 19 verse 1 Jesus and entered and passed through Jericho behold there was a man named Zacchaeus a chief tax collector he was rich He sought to see who Jesus was, but he could not because of the crowd, for he was short. That didn't make him lost, John. So he ran ahead and climbed into a tree to see who he was, for he was going to pass him by. So this is the setting. We already saw this. Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus. As Jesus is passing by, Jesus said to him, Zacchaeus, so he knew his name, make haste. That's kind of hard to... Hurry up and come down today because I must stay at your house. So Jesus is seeking out of this whole... He's seeking this man. Who was seeking Jesus? This man was seeking Jesus. But he's rich. And the way he became rich was off of the people by cheating them. And why would Jesus go and eat at the house of a man that was rich and that was made his riches off of cheating people? Because he seeks and saves that which is lost. So Zacchaeus was a personal example. Now let's go down, let's go down to verse 6. Verse 7. Verse 8, that's where the religious people complain. Look what Zacchaeus says. Now I want you to see, we're going to go through three examples of people Jesus came to. And we're going to see his personal seeking them And we're going to see that once he's encountered them and he sought them, the change that takes place in them. Look at the change that takes place in him. I give half of my goods away. Suddenly he doesn't care about the goods. Suddenly they don't have the meaning. See, they were his security. They were his stature. They were his his future. They were what he's held on to. And suddenly he's met Jesus. Because Jesus came to his house and saved him. And now he doesn't care about this and his heart has changed. I'll give half of my goods to feed the poor and if I've cheated anybody, I'm going to restore it four times. Let's look at someone else. John chapter 4, one of my favorite stories. 
the woman at the well. Another personal encounter. Verse 5. So he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near a plot of ground which Jacob gave to Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, being worried from his journey, at this, sat by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. And a woman, that's important, of Samaria, that's important, which is called Sychar, excuse me, came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. Stop there a second. Three important things there. It's the sixth hour, which is noon. All the other women of the village come first thing in the morning to draw water. For some reason, which we'll see in a few minutes, this woman did not feel comfortable to come out with all the other women of the village. She came out when nobody else would be there. Oh, this is good. But when she came out all alone because nobody else would be there with her, who met her there? But the one who comes to seek and to save the lost. The second thing is she's a woman. In the culture of that day, it was improper for a man to speak to a woman that was unaccompanied. And she's of Samaria. The Samaritans and the Jews hated each other. I don't have time to go into why. But it was a racial issue. So here's a gender barrier. A man should not be crossing that barrier. And here's a racial barrier that in their society a, a Jew would not cross that barrier nor would a Samaritan cross that barrier. But Jesus crossed both barriers because he was seeking to save somebody that was lost. God's heart crosses barriers. God's heart does not establish barriers of gender, of race, of economics. He crossed a financial barrier to reach Zacchaeus. He crossed a he crosses a, um, a, 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 a gender. He crosses barriers. Notice he says, "Give me a drink." I have to summarize the story. And she says, "She says." for the disciples are going away to buy food. That's another message. The woman said, How is it you being a Jew ask a drink from a Samaritan woman? She's shocked that a Jew, she could tell he was a Jew by the way he dressed. She, how, how come you a Jew would ask a Samaritan woman for a drink? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Verse 10. I love it. Jesus answered and said, If you knew the gift of God, see, he's seeking her here. He's now going to bring salvation to her. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked of Him and He would have given you living water. Now, I don't have time to go through and read the rest of the story. Look it up sometime. Most of you know it. But what happens is, now she's curious. She says, sir, give me that water to drink. And, and now Jesus starts dealing with her life. Well, bring your husband. He knows. And she says, well, sir, I don't have a husband. She's not telling the whole truth. She's, she's what we do so often. She tells part of the truth and says, that's truth. I don't have a husband. He says, that's right, you don't. You've had five. And the man you're living with now is not your husband. So what Jesus is saying is, I realize your life's a mess. You've got, you've got a disaster. You've had disaster, five disastrous relationships. We don't know whether they died or what happened. 
She's just gone through hurt and destruction five times. And now you can understand why she couldn't come out with the other women. She's got a reputation. And now she's given up on marriage. And you can understand why. And she's just living with this guy because I don't want to make a commitment to another man and then be hurt. So I'm going to do what we do in society now. I'm going to throw God's laws out the window about sin. And I'm just going to live with him for my convenience sake. I'm not looking at anybody. But look what Jesus did. That's who he went to. That's who he She's sinning. Yeah. That's why he came to find her. He came to seek and to save that which is lost. He came to live. He came to die. He came to be buried. He came to be raised from the dead for those that were lost to find them and rescue them of which all of us were lost. And she says, I perceive you're a prophet. And then she tries to get in this discussion about where we should worship. And she says finally to him, she says, I do know this. She said, I know what you teach. You teach that someday there's a Messiah coming, a deliverer, a savior. And oh, I'd love to have been there. Well, we all were, because he did it to all of us at some point. He said, the one who's talking to you is he. Wow. She looks at him, she gets up, and now she runs back into the city. And you know what she left? She left her water. She forgot why she came. Suddenly that, what about water? It was not like she could go, it's not because, you know, the plumber hadn't showed up today because there's a leak. This is where their water came from. This is vital for living. And what's happened to her, who she's met, is so, had such an impact on her, she leaves the very thing she needs physically more than anything else to live that day. She leaves it there. She forgot about what was important in this life, and she runs down into the city to do what we have so much trouble doing, tell others. And then you know who she goes to? The men. And you know what she says to them? Come meet a man. Oh yeah, we know you've probably met a man. That was her reputation. She had a reputation in the community for men. Oh, you met another one. No, 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 no. This is not like the others. This man told me everything I ever did. He told you everything you ever did and you're excited about it? Something changed in her. Like changed in Zacchaeus. And when the disciples came back, they couldn't figure out what it was. Let's look at another example. So we've seen a rich person, tax collector, on the outside, Jesus, who was lost, and Jesus came to find him, went to his house. We see the woman who wasn't even a Jew. We saw him cross barriers to reach her in her brokenness to seek and to save that which was lost. Now we're going to look at a different person, well known to us. Acts chapter 22. Verse 5. There are several accounts of this in the Bible. This is the Apostle Paul. Acts 22. Now Paul was, in a, was, was one of the, as he described himself, he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was the elite of the religious. 
He was full of zeal and passion, so much so that after this new thing known as the way had started, which is what Christianity was called in the beginning, he was determined that it was ungodly, it was a heresy, and he did everything he could to destroy it. And he's on his way to the city of Damascus with letters from the chief, from the chief priest, the high priest, with authority to arrest every Christian that he can find, persecute them and bring them to pris- prison, to be, some of them to be executed. He's on his way to Damascus, and this is his story. Now as it happened, as I journeyed and came near to Damascus at about noon, suddenly a great light from heaven shone around me. And I fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me, notice how personal this is. Notice how personal it was with Zacchaeus. Notice how personal it was with the woman at the well. Look how personal it is with this Pharisee that's trying to destroy the very thing Jesus came to establish. Saul, Saul, he gives his name. Why are you persecuting? Look at what he says, me. He doesn't say he's persecuting the church. He said, why are you persecuting me? Verse 8. So I answered and said, who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you're persecuting. Verse 9. And those who were with me indeed, they saw the light and were afraid, but did not hear the voice of him who spoke. Next verse. So I said, What shall I do, Lord? That's a sign you've heard from God. Instead of saying, whoa, that was nice. What shall I do? And the Lord said to me, Arise and go to Damascus, and there you'll be told the things that are appointed for you to do. Verse 11. And since I could not see because of the glory of that light, being led by the hand of those who were with me, I came to Damascus. Then a certain Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me and stood and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. Now, stop for a second. If you go back to Acts 9, you'll see the, 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 the description of this when it happened. Ananias has an argument with God. He said, no, 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 no. I know who this guy is. You're telling me to go pray over him? Do you know what he does to us? Like God doesn't know. And at that same hour, I looked up at him. And then he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you, that you should know his will, and see the just one, and hear the voice of his mouth. Next verse. For you will be his witness to all men of what you've seen and heard. Here you have a very religious man. Not just a religious man, a persecutor of the church. And Jesus comes to him to seek him and to save him from his religion. And then to commission him, completely turn him around and commission him to go and represent him. And this man that was out to destroy the church wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. This man that was determined to destroy the church once Jesus sought him and found him birthed churches in Asia Minor birthed churches throughout most of the known world suffered unbelievably to accomplish the will of God he was key and instrumental in establishing the church in that first century Jesus comes to seek and to save that which is lost. 
And when he finds the lost and they receive him, he changes you forever. He changes you forever. John chapter 3. I know there's a lot of verses in here, but they won't hurt us. You don't have to read another verse today if you don't want to. Very famous verse. Verse 16. For God so loved, so what? So loved the world. I'm not going to read this. That He came to, that He sent His Son to seek and save. That was lost. He sent His, He so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. He so loved the world, not mad at the world, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever would believe in Him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son to the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him... What through Him? The world through Him. That means the world's lost. That the world through Him might be saved. Jesus came to save the lost, not to condemn. Well, what about us? Who are the lost? What what does it mean to be lost? First of all, none of them we've just looked at knew they were lost until Jesus found them. And lost from what? And saved from what? Turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. This will be the last verse last verses. Genesis chapter 3. This is the beginning of it all. Genesis means book of beginnings. God made man for a perfect relationship with Him. I mean, why did God make man to begin with? Stop and think about it. You were God's idea, not yours. You weren't even your parents' idea. Oh, they may have made plans for you and done what was necessary to create you, but ultimately you were God's idea. Man was God's idea. We didn't come and invent God because we needed Him. Man created us because He wanted us. God couldn't have created us because we were so helpful because we've done nothing but give Him trouble. Pretty much. He created us because He wanted to love someone. God is love. And love by its nature has to have some object of that love and then a desire to have that love freely given back. I remember when I was a lawyer, I was a lawyer for 24 or 5 years, 20 years, something. I practiced in Tulsa for a while, Boston most of the time. And when I was in Tulsa, the senior partner called me over one day, knew as a Christian, knew as I was studying for the ministry. He said, I don't understand something. He said, if God's who you say He is and God knows everything, and why would God make a man and a woman knowing that they were then going to sin? I said, for the very reason that God loves them and wants their love back. He said, what do you mean? I said, let's put it this way. The only way God could have avoided that is to make them in a way that they could never disobey Him. But if God made them in a way so they never could disobey Him, then their choice to obey Him would never be an act of love. They didn't have any choice. A robot, if it works properly, does what you say. I've, some of the technology we have today. Siri and I had this issue. Siri's got to be lost. 
because she will not do what I tell her to do. <laughs> For Christmas, one of our kids gave us an Alexa. She's a little better, but sometimes she doesn't understand me. God made man for relationship. And when He created man, He created everything perfect for him. He placed him in a place called Eden, a place that was, literally means a place of overwhelming delight. God is generous. God wanted to bless them, provided everything they would ever need in abundance. God is abundantly generous. The only thing He said, you can do anything you want. Eat anything you want. Boy, doesn't that sound good? Just one thing you can't eat of. Of course, that's the one thing they were tempted to eat of. But in chapter 3 of Genesis, a snake slithers in. And that's what we're going to read quickly. You'll see why in a minute. Now the serpent was more cunning than any of the beasts of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree? So the serpent comes to challenge what God says. He still comes to challenge the word. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree that's in the middle of the garden, God said, You shall not eat of it, nor touch it, lest you die. The serpent said to the woman, You shall surely not die, directly contradicting what God said. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good or evil. In other words, he's, he's now attacking God's motive. We started out by talking about, we're looking at what God's done, seeking and saving to see God's heart. The Bible is written so we can know the heart of God, the desire of God, what God is like. And Satan is now coming to lie about the character of God and the motive of God. He said, God gave you a law, God gave you instructions, but His real purpose is to keep you from having fun. That's the law, the world's lie out there. If you become a Christian, you won't be able to have fun. If you follow Christ, you won't be able to have fun. Go to the drunk tanks. Visit them. See how much fun they're having the next morning. Go down to the hospitals where the, where the drug addicts are, are being locked up. See how much, how much fun they're having. Go visit hell and see how much fun they're having. Satan is a liar. And he came to say, God's keeping, but he's lying about God's character and God's nature. God's keeping something from you that if you obey him, you're going to lose out. For God knows the day you eat of it, you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes, we're getting to the heart of what we're all talking about today, and the tree was desirable to make one's wise, she, look, she saw... Now God told her what they could eat and what they couldn't eat. And she's now looking at what God said, you shall not eat of it, because if you eat of it, you'll die. Literally it says in the Hebrew, in dying you'll die. But she saw that it was pleasant, so she's exercising independent judgment about what God said. That's exactly what she was being tempted to do. And that it was desirable, look at that, to make oneself wise. This is the root of how we get lost. They were in perfect relationship with God. And the deceiver comes in to destroy that relationship and separate them from God. And here he succeeded. Because he tempted her to take her life and then her husband's life into their own hands to make their own independent judgment about what was good and evil 
about what's right and wrong, even over what God said, they started exercising their own separate judgment. You know what that's called? Your own kingdom. Because the king in a country makes the rules. The king in a country has the authority. And God is king. And they were tempted to rebel against his kingdom and establish their own independent kingdom of themselves. And that's what you and I were born into. Our flesh has that tendency. I will, it, talk to a two-year-old and you'll find out. I do it myself. <laughs> they learn that wonderful two-letter word that begins with an N and ends with an O. No! What is that? Exerting their own independent kingdom. Well, they need to learn to be individuals. That's a different thing. She gave it to her husband and he ate. And oh, we got to move along. Go ahead. And the eyes of them both were open now. And they could see that they were naked. Up until that time, they didn't know they were naked. They were so caught up in who God was. So, so they, they were not even conscious. Can you imagine being so unconscious of yourself? You don't know, I don't know if I put... I've been so busy sometimes, I go out of the door, I've got pants, shoes, wallet. I've got the basics. Okay? Because <laughs> I came in here two weeks ago and forgot my shoe coat. Okay? So, but, but they were not conscious of themselves. Suddenly they're conscious of themselves. They realize that they don't have any clothes on. So look what they did. They sewed fig leaves together and made for themselves cover. No, I want you to see the I in all of this. Me. And, so they, they realized they had sinned. Now they're going to cover themselves. There's a term in the Bible for that in the New Testament. It's called self-righteousness. I've made my self-righteous. I'm going to cover up my own sin. And here's what we do. We don't make fig leaves. We try to cover it up by losing ourselves in our job, losing ourselves in money, losing ourselves in things we become addicted to, whether it's drugs or alcohol. We begin to try to cover up the pain of that separation, that pain of that sin, by, by building into our lives things that begin to destroy us. We're talking about what it means to be lost covered themselves. Verse 8. And they heard the sound of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife, look at they hid themselves from the presence of God. Up until this point, they weren't hiding from God. They were waiting for Him. The Bible implies they walked with Him in the cool of the night day. They walked with Him in fellowship with Him. Imagine walking face to face with God. Amen. And now they're hiding from God. That's what the lost... When you're hiding from God, you're lost. See, lost from what? Lost from God. Lost from life, the source of life. They heard a sound and they went and hid in the, in the garden. They heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of God among the trees of the garden. Verse 9. Then the Lord called them and says, Where are you? It's not because he didn't know. Where are you? I heard your voice in the garden. Now fears come in. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Afraid because I know that I have now sinned. I know that I'm not pure anymore. And so what I did is to protect myself from your holiness and your righteousness is I ran from you and hid. That's being lost. 
And that's where we were when God finds us. Who told you you were naked? That you've eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat? Verse 12. The man said, The woman you gave me. I love this. This is where buck, a buck passing starts. The woman you gave me. In other words, there's three of us here. I just know I'm the one that's innocent. It's either you or her. I don't know. You figure that out. But it's me. I'm okay. Verse 13. And the Lord said to the woman, What's this you've done? And she says, this, sir, we're going to end, end that there. Okay. So what's happening here? What's this all mean? What does it mean to be lost? It means to be separated from God. I mean separated from a living, vital relationship with God. Jesus came to live, to die, to be buried, and to be raised from the dead, to restore mankind back to that first relationship that God had with man before the serpent came to destroy it. What does this mean to us? If you're in Christ, if you're walking with Him, if you know you belong to Him and you've received Christ into your life as the one that paid for your sins, if that's you, then this ought to touch our hearts because the Jesus is still seeking to save the lost. But we're now His body. He's seeking every day to reach out and save the lost with His body, which is you and me. But we've not had His heart for that. So we live among people, work among people, except me, I work here, that are lost. And we don't, it doesn't touch our hearts, but it touches His heart. I was reminded this morning as I was praying and getting, of a story I read of Dwight L. Moody, great evangelist. Had a great meeting, huge meeting. Thousands and thousands, many came forward and received Christ and gave their life to Him. And as he left that night and tried to go to bed, he couldn't sleep, tears just pouring down. He says, God, I want to make sure I didn't miss anybody, that nobody left here today lost. Because if they leave here today lost, they're stepping out into an eternity perhaps, fate separated for you for eternity. And they were here in that moment. If there's a better way for me to invite them, if there's a better way for me to describe them, this is my prayer this morning, if there's a more effective way to touch people's hearts, God, do that because that's what you want to do. Because you're here to seek. Seek. Like the shepherd that lost the one, the one sheep, sheep, sheep got lost. Like the woman who lost the one coin. Like the father whose son wandered away. Amen. He's here to seek and to save that that's lost. That's why we're here. We're Jesus in the earth today. His body of Christ. To seek and to save the lost. That's why you and I exist. If you want to know the purpose for your life, it's so that through us, Jesus can seek and to save the lost. But maybe you're here this morning and you don't know for sure in your heart where you stand with God. Maybe you've been coming to church here or other churches or you used to come here and you just drifted away. Kind of like the prodigal. 
You were in the house once, but then you walked away and you got busy in life and it's begun to touch and affect your life. and You're lost. The Father's heart, He's been looking for you. Everyone in here this morning that's not right in their heart with God, not on your terms, not right, in, right in with God on your terms, right with God on His terms. Well, what's the difference? Our terms are based on how good we are. God's terms is you have to be perfect. I mean perfect. Never sinned in your life. Thought, word, or deed. You say, well, we can't do that. That's exactly right. So God sent His Son to live and to die and to be raised to pay for your sins. But we read the verse where Jesus said, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That's God's side. God has given His Son's life for every one of us. That's how much He loves you and is seeking you. But the rest of that verse says, But whosoever should believeth on Him should not perish. So there's a response that we must make to Him in order to receive that gift of salvation that's already been paid for. Here's what I want to do. If you're here this morning, first of all, if you're here this morning and you used to come here and maybe you've just stopped coming and because it's Easter you've decided to come, I'm so glad you're here this morning. We're all so glad you're here this morning. Maybe you're a prodigal that's kind of wandered away. Welcome home. There's no condemnation. Come back into the fold. Come back into, the, into that household that keeps you safe and protects you. Come back into the, into the family of God that loves you and will love you and surround you. Maybe you're someone here that's never received Christ. Maybe you've been in church all your life. I was. I was a deacon in my church. I was one of the leaders in my church. But if I had died at the age of 37 as a deacon in my church, I even preached in that church once. You wouldn't want to hear it, but I preached in it. If I died, I would have been eternally lost. Because although I had been a good husband, a good father, although I had been a, a, even an honest lawyer, <laughs> boy, if that doesn't impress God, nothing else will. God, I was an honest lawyer. Really? Every time, John? I was a deacon of my church, served in the church boards, gave. I was still lost. Because I wasn't perfect. I had motives that were wrong, thoughts that were wrong. And I wasn't exactly honest all the time. But most. Better than the other lawyers. <laughs> but I was still lost. But Jesus found me. I've told the story before, but He had to pursue me. He had to seek me out. But He found me. Maybe you're in that position.
Jesus is here this morning. He's been seeking you to bring you into relationship with Him. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, well, Pastor, I've done that. But I'm kind of like that prodigal. And I've gotten away from church or I've gotten away from Him and I just... I'm going through the motions. I, I know I gave my life to Christ at some point, but I just, I've been out there in the world and it's not been good to me. God's probably mad at me because I failed Him somehow. I made vows to Him and commitments to Him, but I've not lived up to them. He must be mad at me. Look at the story of the father with the prodigal. With the smell of the pigsty still on him, Their father took off his robe, wrapped him in his robe, hugged him, kissed him, took his own ring off and put it on his finger and received him back. This morning, he wants to receive you back. Here's what I want to do. If any of those three describe you, well, if two of them do, if you've never received Christ before, if you've never received this precious gift that God has given to you, if you've never realized that maybe I'm lost, but Jesus came to find me today, or maybe you know He's found you before, but you've gotten away from Him, and you've just come back today because it's Easter, but you, you need to come back to Him. He's not angry at you. He didn't send Jesus to condemn. I want to pray for you this morning. The greatest Easter you can ever have is to allow Jesus to arise in your heart and to live in you. If that's you this morning, I want to pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass you, but I want to pray for you. You need to let God know that you really do mean this. And here's what I want to do. If, if, if those, either of those invitations touches your heart, it does it because God's touching your heart this morning. I want to pray for you, but I need you to let me know by raising your hand. I'm not going to embarrass you. There's a hand over here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This is, don't worry about what people think. We're talking about your relationship with God who loves you. Jesus came and hung naked on a cross for each one of us, completely exposed. And we hide back because of shame. It's just like Adam in the garden. He was ashamed and hid, hid from the presence of God. And people struggle now, even in their hearts. They know, I should respond, but they're afraid. What are people going to think? That's exactly what Adam did. That's a sign you're lost. It's a sign you're lost because you're hiding from God. You're afraid. You're ashamed. God wants to cover your shame this morning. He wants to replace your fig leaves with animals that... With the, with the blood of His Son and pay for your sin. Anyone else? The hour's getting late. You've never received Christ or maybe you've received Him and you want to come back to Him this morning. He loves you. He's not going to condemn you. All right, here's what I want to do. If you raise your hand on any one of those invitations, I'm going to ask you to do something bold. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to pray with you, but I want to pray with you down here. I'm going to ask if you just come out of your seat and come down here. Thank you, dear. Thank you for coming. If you didn't raise your hand, it's not too late. Just stand right here, please. Come on, just stand and face me. Right there. Come on. I know there are other people coming. 
Thank you, sweetheart. Thank you, dear. Come and stand right here. Thank you so much for coming. Just stand right here. Just wait a minute, because sometimes when someone's bold enough, others will begin to follow. Because I know there are others. I know there are others. I don't know who you are, but I know you're out there. Praise the Lord. All right, just look at me for a second. I don't know whether you're here for you because you've never done this before or you're making a recommitment. That's between God and you. It's brought you here. I'm just standing here representing Him this morning. So I'm going to lead you in a very simple prayer. And when we're done, all you've got to do is say this loud enough for you to hear it and mean it as best you can in your heart. That's all you can do. And then I'm going to just give you just a little bit of instructions and ask you to do one simple thing for me. So just repeat this prayer out loud with me. I'm going to cover everything we just talked about. Say, Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. Thank you for loving me this much. You know everything I've ever done, everything I've ever said, everything I ever thought. For whatever did not please you, I ask you to forgive me. Wash me in the blood of Jesus. Make me clean in your sight. Jesus, I ask you to come into my life as my Savior. And I put my life into your hands to be Lord. Thank you for loving me this much. Fill me with your Spirit that I may live strong for you for the rest of my days.